Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a selfless big place so far. Everything with an attitude. Got a family. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Don't let the play against them. And make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO as a team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Tom, Tua's going to play Saturday. He's going to play. Stop asking. Man, you know, I understand why they ask him the question because obviously, you know, he's been limping around. You know, he's, he's hesitant to get off the ground after, you know, hits in the past few weeks and, I can I can understand the question, man, because there are some coaches out there that you wouldn't even dress the guy because you've got Citadel. And so while while I know that he's gonna play because he's a competitor and 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 he probably wants to play even if Saban wouldn't play him, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I wish any of these guys that were banged up wouldn't see the field because I don't think it's necessary. There, there's bigger things yet on the horizon. And um, these guys have to get well if they're going to get to, you know, if they're if they're going to finish the season the way they want to. Yeah, I think it's a classic situation where more than one thing can be true. And so it can absolutely be true that Alabama is a better team than Citadel. And we got some players banged up and we've got a two game stretch with Auburn and then Georgia. And we would like to go into that fully healthy and fully rested and, and ready to play. That can 100% be true. Uh, it can also be true in sort of the saving mantra that we play to a standard. We adhere to a process. We don't take days off. We don't take weeks off. We don't allow ourselves to relax. We don't assume that we've won the game. And we don't slack up in our preparation, regardless of the opponent, because we are preparing against a standard and that standard does not allow that wiggle room. And so I think there's a little bit of both things are true. And the last thing Saban is going to do is go out and sort of, you know, talk about 
yeah, we're glad it's a cupcake. We're glad that we can rest some guys. We're glad because that is so contrary to the message he's he's talking about in the room with the players. Now, come game day, if he can get the guys out at the end of the first quarter or before half, he will. But they're going to go into the game. They're going to start the game and perform in the game against a standard. And and I think that's sort of the the conflict that he might feel on a week like this. I'm with you, but I will argue that Tua should not see the field and Tua should not take a snap because I think that your third-string quarterback can get the job done with your defense against Citadel. And so some of these guys who are a little bit banged up playing a little bit, I get it. Do I think Tua should play? No, I don't think he should play at all. Now, just like Saban doesn't allow uh, his coaching staff to do interviews, you know, everything is kept up, you know, hush, 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 right? Like no one knew that Jalen Hurts was having ankle surgery. Well, he does a good job with his with his former players too, okay? Because you never hear them talk about this, but you heard Jonathan Allen last year in some interview hint at how he played Hurt every game. And and I know that they have, you know, they have some of the best uh, means to get these guys well week in, week out, okay? They have some of the best facilities, the best resources in the nation, probably matching, you know, a lot of NFL teams. And so that allows them, you know, I mean, take Quentin Williams as an example, right? And, and we'll, get, we'll get to him in a minute. But I just want to give the example of in the LSU game, you and I saw where, he would make a sack in the backfield and he would barely be able to get off the field so gingerly and like he couldn't even put weight on one of his legs on the sideline. And then he'd be back out there a couple more plays. I mean, in that LSU game, I'm sitting there saying, why is Quentin Williams still in the game? It's 22 to nothing. And so, so I will say that to your point about the process, these players, okay, they do play through injuries. And they do it all the time, and a lot of it is just not talked about. It's kind of like the NFL has the you know probable and not probable you know all, yep. all injury reports they have to put out on Monday. Dude, if they did that in college, I bet you we'd have 20, 25 guys on the Alabama sheet every Monday. Yeah, for, I so, for something, for something, for something. Yeah, no, I agree, and I do, I do think, and and we've talked about this before. I do think there is sort of that NFL mentality. That you know your best ability is your availability. That kind of that kind of approach, and we don't hear anything about Quinnen, or we don't hear anything about some of the other players that that have dings up because they're not the starting quarterback who is all the rave you know in college football. And there's you know I am certain that there's a part of coach that wishes. I wish it were someone else. Not you know only just because I wouldn't be asked about it so many times. But, you know, kind of here we are. Let's talk about uh, offense, Mississippi State. What stood out to you? Mississippi State came into the Mississippi State had a uh, highly ranked defense coming into this game. I believe the stat, correct me if I'm, I get this wrong here, uh, but I believe they had only given up one rushing touchdown in the prior eight games. Uh, I believe that is correct. Yep, and so. Good. You're feeling pretty. You're feeling pretty good after the first quarter, in which they have gotten two, you know, rushing touchdowns. And at one point, Alabama had had the ball for 31 plays, and Mississippi State had had the ball for six plays, and you know, two, three, and outs. And so at that point, 
here we are establishing the run. Gary Danielson is sitting here saying, you know, Tua wants to let one loose, and we're sitting here controlling the line of scrimmage. Um, but I have to tell you that um, for whatever reason, okay, adjustments made by Mississippi State, us uh, us just maybe letting off the gas the, as far as the offensive line goes, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you have to search for a reason how the switch got flipped so badly. Because Deontay Brown came out of the game, okay, and Lester Cotton came in, and, you know, Lester Cotton did some good things, but I will tell you from the time they announced that Deontay Brown uh, had come out of the game, the offensive line fell apart. Yeah. And they went from controlling the line of scrimmage and running the ball down their throats to they couldn't run the ball. I mean, I, I... I don't remember many football games where you rush for two rushing touchdowns in the first quarter and you are controlling the ball, the game, and then it just all falls apart. And I'm saying before Tua went out, it fell apart. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I think that's true. I think that uh, I put that more on adjustments by Mississippi State than I do all on the shoulders of of Lester Cotton. Uh, that doesn't mean Deontay Brown's not playing better than Lester Cotton. I mean, he beat him out. I think that's sort of self-evident. But I don't put and so and and so, you know, here again, multiple things are true. I think that I think the running game took a hit as a result of that. But I don't think all of the woes, uh, for all of the rest of the offensive woes are are a result of that. I think No, no, no. By the way, I'm not assuming that it, he's only one of five linemen. I'm not saying right, this all right. fell on him. I'm just saying the timing of it yep. is that it seems like the it seems like the the uh, the ground game fell apart at that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's 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 um it it's you know there's a relationship but it's not causal, right? And um you know I think I think the two opening drives you know we possessed we possessed the ball for 10 minutes on the two opening drives, you know, scored 14 points, demonstrated some power running. Uh, more than half of our offensive yards for the day came on those two offensive drive drives, 156 on those two drives versus 149 the rest of the day, which is that itself is in a, is just a truly amazing stat. But I think, and you know, Alabama fans this season, we've gotten so accustomed to the high wire act of, of the passing game uh, I think these opening two drives against Mississippi State are as impressive as anything we have done offensively this season. Mississippi State was heralded as a dark horse to win the West, as a dark horse to win the conference, because everyone knew that their defense is going to be stacked. They're bringing in this Joe Moorhead, who's, who is going to be offensive-minded, He's going to look at what he's done at Penn State. He's going to open up the offense, and there's a little optimism there in, in putting all that together. But one thing that has been true is the strength of their defense, and they were averaging, you know, they were one of the leaders in the nation and in, in scoring defense, averaging, you know, allowing opponents 12 points a game. That's that is just darn impressive, and the adjustments they made. I certainly give them credit to the adjustments, but for those two drives for Alabama to just dominate running the ball. I thought that was quite impressive, quite a statement. I just don't know where that went. That just seemed to sort of, you know, evaporate, you know, at, uh, you know, when, when state made their adjustments, but uh, I thought those were in two, two impressive drives and then it sort of fizzled out from there. No, it absolutely did. Um, What do you, what do you think of, 
and I and I didn't see a whole lot of like they they weren't they weren't they weren't necessarily they they didn't change their front okay they didn't put an extra guy in the box or anything like that uh, they did start doing some delayed blitzes but besides that I didn't see a whole I didn't see I didn't see a lot of big adjustments to be able to put together you know um, what changed there because like you said the the second drive was thirteen plays for eighty three yards. I mean, we we literally had just controlled the line of scrimmage. Talk about uh, just briefly. Talk about if you if you could the uh, the hit on Tua. Obviously, you know, there's all this there's all this discussion about you know uh, protecting the the players and you know um, the crown of your helmet and you know helmet to helmet contact, etc. It did not appear to me as if the safety was trying to make a tackle. He did not have his arms up. It looked to me like he literally just launched himself at his left leg. And while I can't, you know, I have no proof that it it appeared like he was going for the knee, you know, he ends up getting his thigh right above his knee. But dude, it just seems to me like they were they were they were going for that leg. I'm just gonna put it out there. It it it, it I'm not I'm not saying the kid's a dirty player. I'm just saying that he launched him himself with his arms at his side leading with the crown of his helmet at the guy's lower left extremity and excuse me lower right extremity and um I think there had to be something there yeah you know that's a tough thing because it's it's quite an accusation to make I think that uh and you know I think when you're on the defensive front and and you're doing all that you can to get past the offense there's going to be there's going to be times where you lunge or you leap or you jump you know, one of the Superman plays that, that Jonathan Allen, you know, you brought you mentioned him earlier was, you know, a sort of a Superman dive that he made out to, to sack, you know, sack the quarterback. And and, you know, I'd like to think that he wasn't going for anybody's knees, but that's just you just that's just that exerted effort that you're putting out there. And so I want to think that that's what it is. I want to think that sort of there's a brotherhood, you know, even across opposing teams that hey, you know, we're in the SEC, we're in this together, we're playing college football, we're not trying to hurt anybody, we're just trying to play a physical game, and sometimes things happen. That's what I want, that's what I want, you know, it to be. I do think, you know, when Saban went on a, you know, I don't want to say a rant, but, you know, he called out, you know, the NFL has rules about going low against a player, and it's one of those things that, you can see it in the NFL and you can say, you know, hey, Tom Brady was lost for a season as a result of that. So it's kind of the Brady rule. And you don't want to lose, you know, the star. You think about the NFL more than college, right? You know, star quarterbacks boost offense, boost ratings, all that. You don't want those guys to get hurt. You actually want to try to protect them maybe, maybe more than other players. And so I get that. And then the counterbalance is then how are you ever supposed to tackle someone if you can't you know, you can't go low, you can't go high. They can move when I'm trying to, you know, tackle them. You know, it's almost how do how do I how do I do this? And maybe that's a hard thing to answer, but maybe it's also true that you got to protect these guys that are a little bit, you know, defenseless. So I don't know. I don't know that I answered your question. I just think I don't think there is sort of a concrete nail it to the wall answer. I just think there's a lot of conjecture. Well, we've talked about uh, many times on the show about the lack of technique when it comes predominantly to the secondary of defenses and how they're not tackling like they were taught when they were five years old. And so when I started playing football at five years old, 
I was taught to wrap up um, the legs with my arms and I was putting my head around, you know, the waist and I was tackling through the player mm-hmm. or, or I was putting my head in their chest. And so I wasn't, my point is, is that if you tackle the right way, you're not, you shouldn't be down there around their legs. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you should be wrapping up your arms with their, like I'll say it this way. Had he gone in with his arms to wrap up the legs, his head would have therefore been on the side of the guy's leg and that wouldn't have happened. That's all I'm saying. I think I think maybe it's more to do with there wasn't maybe intent there. I think that that DBs just don't tackle like they they should. They're, they don't tackle. There's not proper tackling technique that's happening on most DBs that you see, other than Alabama DBs. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's <laughs> there's the sports centerism, you know, around. I, I just want to blast somebody and I just want to hit them, which is not you know form tackling. And I also think. There is the reality of the dynamic of the game and I'm getting blocked and I'm getting pushed and I'm getting shoved. And so not every tackle opportunity is as clean as a form tackle drill. And so somewhere in that is the opportunity to have a standard in how you tackle and then also be off of that because of the circumstances of the game. And that makes that's where it makes it squishy to, you know, it's almost like I, you can see it in hindsight, but it's hard to coach it. Um I, no, I'm with you. No, I'm with you. Well, let me point out a couple quick plays that I want to ask you about real quick and get your take on. You know, Josh Jacobs ends up getting more carries than Damian Harris. Starting out of the game, Damian Harris is getting some good carries out of the out of the gate there. Um, Josh Jacobs finishes with 20 carries for 97 yards. And he was, you know, he had the lion's share of the carries on that drive where they went forward at the goal line on fourth down and and did not get it. So were you surprised that, and this just goes to show that, you know, Saban doesn't keep up with these kind of stats. It's interesting to me with all the people that you have on the sideline, you know, and, and Josh had a rhythm going, right? He was the hot hand. Are you surprised they pulled him out at the very end of that drive when he had 97 yards and he was being very effective and the offensive line was actually, you know, some good things had come back to the running game there toward the end of the game there. Were you surprised they pulled him out and brought in Damian? Now, are you talking about the drive at the at the very end of the game? Um, yes, yes. Yeah, I think – I just was surprised that jo- – no fist to Damian Harris, but Josh Jacobs was in at the time. He had the hot hand. You know, he could have gotten a 100-yard day. Uh, which would have been nice too. I just was surprised that they took him out and brought in Damien at that point. Yeah, I think I, you know, the way I want to answer this question will sound like I'm throwing shade on Damien, and I'm and, and I'm not. I I I think that was at a stage of the game where Saban didn't want to score a touchdown. You know, that right there at the end of the game, and so he kept running the ball up the middle, running the ball up the middle, running the ball up the middle, and and I just don't think he wanted. You know, the game was over; it had been decided. You know, both teams have sort of left it on the field. And uh, and so I don't think he wanted, you know, to score a touchdown there. Now, when Mississippi State came out throwing the ball down the field, I think he might have wanted to rethink that. But I don't think he really wanted to score a touchdown at that point. All right. So that's why he didn't kick a field goal. Okay. So here's what's interesting about that fourth and goal play. Because I'm sorry, you know, I, 31 to nothing would have looked better than 24 to nothing. And so on that play, right, going – okay, if you're not trying to score and and it's fourth and goal then, why not just take a knee? 
because by running the ball and getting stopped at the one yard line, it looked bad and it gave momentum to Mississippi State at the end of the game. It gave them a moral victory. If you're not trying to score, why don't you just have the quarterback take a knee then? Yeah, I mean, you know, those are fair points. The reason I'm asking that question, the reason I'm asking that question is, is on that particular play, uh, Ross Pier Ross Piercebacher, you know, he messed up. He he went to block the linebacker who was four yards off the ball in the end zone, and he did not um, he did not help out. Uh, he did not help Alex Leatherwood on the nose guard. And had he just sat there and just turned him for Alex, right? Just double teamed him with Alex and then gone on the linebacker. Damien would have walked in the end zone for a touchdown at the end of the game. And I think it would have been a nice exclamation point. Instead, he just went right around the nose guard to the linebacker who had no chance of tackling Damien at one yard, you know, at the one yard line. And Alex just got beat on the play and and they stopped him. And so I just didn't like how that played out. I, I just would have preferred. You know, we're not we, we didn't get 50 points on them. I just would have preferred them to sit there and score that touchdown and and you know, be up 31 to nothing. No, I agree. I you were definitely rooting definitely uh rooting, you know, for for that touchdown. What do you think? I was uh I was at the game with our buddy Ray and uh, one of the things he kept wondering is, you know, why are we not running to the edges? You know, glad the running game is is working, but um, you know, a lot of runs up the middle. Why are we not attacking the edges? And it seemed like a couple of times we did attack the edge. Um, and we had, you know, some success and I think there was a play earlier in the game where we, you know, I'd been calling for the tall sweep. I love to call for the tall sweep. Um, you know, we were running a tall sweep and Mississippi state had just gotten a time timeout, uh, called under the wire. And, um, you know, just as we were pitching on the tall sweep on what looked like it was going to be a touchdown. So we were going to have that moment of satisfaction on a running to the outside. We're giving Dave a tall sweep and Mississippi state timeout. Uh, what'd you think about the, not just, um, not, not the play selection, but the running sort of the direction running. I think we got to get to the edge. Well, I think the fact that Mississippi state was leading the sec in rushing yards allowed. And I think they were third in the country. Um, and we've talked about how this offensive, this, this, you know, young offensive line in some positions seem more comfortable in pass blocking than run blocking. I think that they I think they might have gotten faked out by the 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 talent of the defensive line, specifically the two defensive ends. And I think that they didn't want to run away from Montez Sweat because they were concerned he would chase him down from the backside. And then you got a fifth year senior on the other side in Jerry Green. And then, you know, your defensive tackle is a you know fifth year senior as well. So, you know, you, you got three seniors across that front line and and two very uh, tall, lank, athletic, physical defensive ends. And uh, I think that they just thought that the speed of Mississippi State, that they couldn't outrun it on the edges. And they were trying okay. to run right at players like Sweat. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'll go with that. Um, you know, you mentioned Josh Jacobs. He certainly had a good day and, and was de- definitely demonstrating, you know, the hot hand. Uh, Irv Smith just had an Irv Smith day. You know, five catches, 70 yards. Almost got him a touchdown. A touchdown. Um, what do you make of um, what do you make of the quarterback situation? You know, two is dinged up. Jalen uh, looks like he's not going to go, and so Mac Mac Jones comes in. Um, I, I feel like for all of the success we've had offensively this season, we've seen Jalen demonstrate improvement earlier in the season, uh, but now with 
with the call it the injuries and the dings, uh, we seem I want to say unsettled, uh, but for a little bit, we seem unsettled at the quarterback position. Well, Mac Jones played well in the spring. Okay. And mm -hmm. Mac Jones, you know, was a highly regarded quarterback coming out of high school. And um, I think they should have let Max Jones open it up a little more. Okay. Um, you know, in, the, in other words, I, okay. I think they should have utilized the, <clears throat> I think had they had more success running the ball, when Tua, when Tua went down, I think that Mississippi State's like, we know you're not going to throw the ball with your quarterback. You're going to run the ball. And so then, you know, they there was more emphasis, <clears throat> excuse me, on stopping the run. And so I think in that situation, I would have liked to them to do a little play action with Jones and, and see if play action allows some things to open up for him. Um, but I think that, you know, in this next game against the Citadel, they've they've got to let him get some confidence making some, you know, completing some passes, yep. you know, in the 10 to 15 yard range, because I think that they were intent on saying we're up 21 to nothing. Mississippi State cannot do anything offensively, and we're just going to run the ball. And therefore, it played into Mississippi State's hands, which is strong against the run to, to shut the run down. Yeah, I think I think we reached a point. We just wanted let's get out of this game. And how do we how do we run that clock as as much as we can? Let's get out of the game. Uh, unless you've got something else on offense, give me a mini game ball. No, um, you know, mini game ball. Um, I'm gonna let you go first. I, I'm still toying between a couple different guys. Go ahead and give me yours first. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of going backwards on on my mini game ball, sort of a, a reverse mini game ball. I'm going Deontay Brown. Uh, I don't think all of the woes of the running game uh, were on the shoulders of Lester, uh, but I do think uh, Deontay certainly contributed, uh, demonstrated, you know, that he earned uh, and it was a well earned opportunity to to start. Uh, I like the competition that fosters. I like his play. Uh, I'm going mini game ball, Deontay Brown. Get that turf toe straightened out, and uh, we'll see you against Auburn. All right, so I'm going to give it to the uh, senior Hale. Um, I think Hale did a really good job uh, blocking yet again. Uh, he does the dirty work, man. He doesn't get he the, does. you know, great. Granted, he's a, you know, granted he's a, you know, you know, top starter depth wise, but he doesn't get all the pub that that Irv Smith does. Um, but he does. He's asked to block a lot of guys that are 50 pounds, you know, you know, uh, heavier than he is. And, um, you know, he, he's doing the dirty work. Yep. And um, when they were having all that success running the ball, uh, it was in large part to, to him contributing to that. So I'm going to give the mini game ball to hell. I think that's a good one. I like I like the use of dirty work there. That's that's exactly what he does. Uh, and um, uh, I think we're better for that. Let's flip the field, go to defense. What uh, what jumps out to you on D? You know, um, Mississippi State came into this game, you know, you know, there was questions as to why, you know, what had happened to Fitzgerald. And if Fitzgerald was the same guy, you know, prior to, you know, his injury. And, you know, I'm just going to say that, that this is a guy that came into this game. Oh, you know, he's, you know, obviously he, he had not had a whole lot of success on the season as far as his completion percentages. Um, but this guy, you know, he came into the season, I think around 50% completion percentage, but this guy had come into the game, uh, with a lot of success running the ball. 
And yep. on his career at Mississippi State, it had a lot of success running the ball. And, um, you know, this is a guy that came into this game and he had had four 100-yard days running the ball. He actually carried the ball 28 times against Auburn for 195 yards, 28 carries. And so this is a guy that normally gets close to 20 carries every single game. And so I thought it was interesting how quickly they abandoned that. Um, you know, he had 14 carries, which was which was a lot for, you know, most quarterbacks. Um but here's a guy that came in with 500-yard days, and the guy finished with 14 carries for negative 23 yards. Obviously, the sacks take away from that total. But that's the first thing that jumped out at me, man. They, we, we were, you know, this, this defense that continues to get better, they knew going into the week what the game plan was going to be for Mississippi State, and they were able to shut Fitzgerald down. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good call. I think uh, you know definitely he has struggled as a passer, and the defense I think really you know rose to the occasion. I think Fitzgerald earlier this season uh, took over the the rushing lead uh, for SEC quarterbacks, which really speaks to a capability there. But I think I think the defense as a whole, and and I, I you know I kind of I kind of weigh back and forth: is the defense really playing that well, or have the last two weeks we just run into inept offenses? Um, and I, I think. I think a little bit of both, right? I think, you know, we we play the 13th and 14th ranked uh, uh, quarterbacks in, in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of stats. I think we held them to 44 yards rushing. You know, they were one of 13 on third downs, which is you think you would accidentally get more than that. Uh, and then, you know, the defense started the game as, as strong as, as the offense did. Uh, Mississippi State, on their first 14 plays, they gained 14 yards uh, net yards, and that that uh, accounted for their uh, first four possessions. And so that is dominating right out of the gates. Um, even if you think of a, a more of an inept offense, you're getting their best shot to start the game. The stuff that they worked on, the stuff they iterated on, the stuff that they put in their, you know, um, scripted plays, uh, and to hold them to uh, a play a yard across the 14, first uh, 14 plays. Pretty darn impressive there. No, it is. And to your point about NF offense, okay, and, and his passing woes, which are all correct, Auburn's got a very good front defensive line, right? And and he had, you know, he averaged seven yards a carry, right? Well, then the next, you know, after the bye at LSU, which obviously, you know, is a good defense too, he had 23 carries for 131 yards. Right. So I'm only putting that out there to say that, you know, he, he got almost 200 yards against Auburn and 131 again at LSU. And so for for him to have negative 23 yards, you know, that that's a big deal to me. Yep. Um what what else what else jumped out at you uh as far as uh speak speak to me for a second about um the the call that you know, as far as the the situation where their their best scoring attempt that they had uh, in the first half there, uh, obviously they shot themselves at the in the foot because we had blown a couple assignments and and thank goodness they had a touchdown taken off the board. Yeah, I think um, I, I think that was a that was a bad call by the official. Um, I think that was uh, that was a legit uh, touchdown. 
Uh, does I don't think it sways the outcome of the game, but certainly seven looks better than zero. And, you know, you want to uh, the team feels better about themselves and um, maybe there's an opportunity for momentum. But I think it's one of those it's, you know, magicians all the time. It's a little bit of sleight of hand and it's a little bit the angles at which you see things. But um, the the defender sort of, you know, was putting up his hands, but did it sort of outward and up as opposed to, you know, from his sides straight up. And at the moment that he was putting his hands outward and up, the defender, uh, our defender trying to make a play, dove. And so from an angle, it looked like he was pushed. Um, and, and it's just the way they lined up. And if your perspective was different, you would have seen that there was a gap. But from the perspective of coming in sort of behind the uh, – um, uh, you know, their player, then it, it certainly looked like uh, the receiver. It certainly looked like there was a shove. And I just think that's, that is, and, you know, sound like an Alabama homer. I'm I'm not trying to, I think that's just one of those you watching a football that's going to go for you and against you. And in this situation, it went for us, not in a way that materially, out, out, you know, impacted the outcome of the game. You hate when plays like that are called incorrectly. You doubly hate when they're called incorrectly and it impacts the outcome of the game here. And it's easy for me to say being on the right side of it and the Alabama side of it, but I just kind of shrug and say, that's just one of those things that happen. Uh, but it was a bad call. Tell me, tell me as far as from a defensive standpoint, um, what else kind of jumped out at you? Um, I think you're holding back, man. You've got a question you want to ask me. No, I just I want to I want to I want you to speak to your guy, uh, and you might be holding him out for a mini game ball, but I'll go ahead and put it out there. Um, you know, we talked about this kid uh, last week, uh, Jared Maiden, and we talked about him getting a little time uh, on the a little more playing time, and there was there was one third down play where a you know there was a crossing pattern to a wide receiver, and and Jared Maiden was you know five six yards off the guy. And and he flies in and takes the right angle and takes this guy down on the sideline about two yards short of a of a first down. And you look at that play, and you you would have if you didn't if you didn't pay attention and if he if he didn't have a jer if he didn't have a number on his jersey if it was just you know a crimson jersey with no number on it you would have thought it would have been a Deontay Thompson or a Xavier McKinney making the play. Yep. It was just one of those flash plays that um that just you know makes you feel good. Uh, about he, he, this is a guy who is going to step up at the end when it counts, like Deontay Thompson did last year uh, against Georgia, and um, he's going to make a big play here. You know, some big impact play uh, before the season's over. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and you did just just trample all over my mini game ball. Uh, I thought I was going to be pretty safe and giving a mini game ball to the dime back, right? Um, <laughs> But, you know, here you go. And I was, you know, and I was going to say things along the lines of, you know, he came in and, and uh, you, you know, talk about big plays. He had a sack on the day. And so he came in, we come in and dime and then, you know, blitz the dime back. That oh, is almost unfair uh, in terms of, you know, sort of the numbers in, in the matchups. Um, and, you know, he is patrolling the secondary. Very comfortable is a sort of an expression that we'll use. He is playing that way. Uh, I know the beginning of the of the season, we're trying to sort out what's the rotation. And, you know, we play, we base out of a nickel. So we feel like, you know, we got to have some solid solidness there. 
but what's that dime going to be? And when uh, Savion started and Trayvon came on and sort of took over him, you know, that sort of jostled that dime back position. But, you know, with Trayvon out, uh, Jared has really settled in and performed well. And uh, I think he's, I think he is, you know, one of the emerging youngsters. Uh, I think, you know, next year, obviously the secondary will look a little bit different. And uh, I think Jared made uh, Maiden will be part of it um, because of his contributions. So yeah, I, there's, there's my mini game ball there. All right. So um, I have another quick play to ask you about. There was a moment in time where I, I do think obviously we talked about Tua's injury and and there's something there's something yep. there um you know I think it's affecting you know his delivery of you know it's his plant foot right he's a left-handed quarterback and so he's planning with that leg and Mississippi State got a lot of pressure uh, a lot of good pressure against Alabama um and and really got him off his spot right they affected the quarterback like Saban's always a, t- a saying and they affected him quite well um there, you know, when when Tua threw that interception, um, you know, uh, you know, when uh, interception in the game uh, on a third and nineteen, and 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 Mississippi State had the ball at the forty yard line, and and here we are, and it is still you know twenty one to nothing. Uh, I just wanted to just kudos to the defense. They come in, and and Mississippi State's got the ball first and ten on the forty. Three plays later, they punt from the Alabama forty two. They started at the 40. They punted at the 42. And so just, dude, we I don't think I would have guessed that a team like Mississippi State that was regarded to vie for the West, right, with the defense and all the lost players, all the lost starters and, and guys that, you know, graduated and went pro, that I would have expected a defense to be able to come in and handle them like that in that situation. Yep. You talk about demoralizing. Are you kidding me? You start at the 40 and you punt it from the 42? That was just awesome. That that whole little series. I did, I just want to talk about it real quick. No, I think I think you're spot on. I think uh when when you can have that level of confidence in your defense uh to sort of bail you out, um I think that I, I think the whole I think the whole team is sort of elevated by that. And so I think that's definitely um you know, that was uh I, I think that bodes well, right? Not only for this game, but for uh, the confidence of, of the teams and the units. The defense, I think, it really is hitting its stride. And I think that's a good example. Even though maybe Mississippi State isn't the most juggernaut offense, you look at that that situational defense on a quick turnover. Unexpectedly, the defense is sort of running back out. Uh, a lot of times there's a big momentum shift back to the offense, you know, as, as they come back in. And, and the defense said, no, not today. Um, and so I think that's good. Uh, anything else on defense we need to talk about? Yeah, man, I need to find out if any listeners took us up on our on our request because I've been waiting to to hear that that we got some. What's our segment going to be called here, man? Because I've been ready to start the show with it, but it hasn't come up yet. So ah, you, you, have wanna, any, do you have any? You're, you're not wanting to talk about Quinn and Williams, are you? Dude, he led the stat sheet again. Yes, man. I, I, I got to have a name so I can put it out there. All right. So we have options, which is awesome. You uh, uh, you sort of put the word out. Hey, reach out to us and let us know. And so we got uh, we had three people uh, take us up on that offer. And so we've got Henry, uh, a 15-year-old from Minnesota, uh, whose dad is from Alabama and so sort of passed down that legacy. Hats off to, to Henry and to Henry's dad. Uh, for passing on the the Bama fandom, 
uh, Henry Henry suggested that we give Quinnen the uh, you know like we do the mini game balls that we give Quinnen the big boy ball because he is uh, uh, just balling out and performing so well uh, week after week. Uh, Chris Fillingham uh, said that we need to call it the bell ringer uh, or call Quinnen the bell ringer, and then uh, Kenry uh, I'm sorry Kenny uh, Hosey. Um, says that we need to call the Quinnen uh, session the uh, the queued up uh, report. So I'll let you take your pick, but uh, we definitely got to talk about the SEC Defensive Player of the Week. Well, man, he just you know we the, those are all great uh, suggestions, and we we appreciate that, and 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 we will we will we will we will select one to use for next week's show. So so thank you very much for 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 giving us your responses. You know. Here's a guy who was banged up against LSU, and and you think he's going to be a little gimpy, and and this just goes back to all the treatment that they're able, the resources they have to to treat these guys, uh, because you know he comes out and uh, is he probably still banged up? Sure, he doesn't even show any glimpse of it. You know he finishes, you know six tackles, four solos. Uh, you know he gets one sack, uh, but two tackles for loss once again from the nose uh, guard position. And just affected the quarterback, man. And there was a couple times where I just enjoyed counting the seconds that Fitzgerald had before he had him in his face and he had to do something. And so it just goes back to what we talked about before. I mean, your inside guys are your run stuffers typically. And, and you know, they have to be double teamed. And so I, I guess there is one thing I want to mention here that, that I guess probably jumped out to me the most is at the beginning of the telecast, they talk about the Mississippi State uh, Center, and they talk about the fact that he is currently up for the best center in the nation, okay? Fifth-year senior, yep. and he is regarded as in the running with Pierce Bocker for, you know, they're two of the, you know, finalists for the, you know, for the, for the top center in the country. And so there was one particular play where Quinnen Williams is like right on the ball. And his helmet was probably, it was probably, you know, literally the, the my hand between the between his helmet and the center's helmet. And he's right over the ball. And I'm sure Mississippi State's thinking, hey, our center can take him. No sure. problem. We, we got one of the top centers in the country. And he just beats him in two seconds and, and sacks the quarterback. And so then the very next play, they've got their right guard helping him block Quinnen Williams. So on the very next play, because I went back and watched it again, the other uh, the other guys rushing the passer for Alabama, they all have single uh, single matchups, and Quinnen Williams is the only guy on the line of scrimmage getting double teamed, yep. and he's the nose guard, and he's getting double teamed because that stud center couldn't take him by himself. I just thought that was a what what a huge example, man, of, of what Quentin Williams can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. He definitely is a queued up big ball bell ringer. Did I get them all in there? I, I gotta say, man, I gotta say I like them all, man, but I'm absolutely. I'm kind of leaning toward bell ringer here. But but absolutely. maybe we could just use them all, right? That's maybe right. they all we'll would just, apply to him. We'll maybe maybe, maybe, maybe we can start with one and then we can finish with one and in the middle we can throw in, you know, throw in the other one. Kind of there thing. you go. So Hey, and unless you got something else on uh, defense, give me a mini game ball. You know, this is really going to tick you off, but it's okay, man, because I don't get a chance to do this very often. And so I'm going, since you're going to let me go first, I'm going to uh, make you kind of um, 
Uh, I'm going to make you kind of pivot here, man. I, I'm giving my mini game ball to, to Jared Maiden. No, I won't do that. I'll let you do that. I'm going to give my mini game ball to Patrick Sertain. And, and the reason why is because he is going to be a stud. He obviously is a starter right now as a true freshman. But his, his awareness of the game, okay, he gets it. He's a student of the game, and, and, and he gets it. And, and you can tell uh, just the little things he does, right? Yep. I mean, obviously, we can talk about special teams in a second when he downed the ball at the one-yard line. But he just is a student of the game, and not only is he athletically gifted, but he just gets it. He right. he just he he understands the moment and and what he needs to do and so he just made some fundamentally sound technical plays in this game that you know it wasn't an interception it wasn't anything that people are going to go back and look at but he just does the little things that 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 is really so important when you're on an island like that. No, I think that's spot on. I think that uh, you know they definitely shied away from him, which was which is impressive considering you know he, he technically is still a true freshman. I think the fact that his his you know his dad is a multi year pro bowl and a pro bowler, I think he did sort of grow up in it, which I think is awesome too. I think that's a great pick. You know, I've already sort of given my mini game ball to to Jared Maiden uh, after you sort of trampled on uh, all the stuff I was going to say about him. Uh, so I'll go out with sort of two quick hitters, uh, shy. Uh, Carter just just continues to sort of be the silent assassin back there. Almost had him a pick, certainly a pass deflection. And Jennings, Jennings, wrap up, man. Just wrap him up when you have him in the backfield. So that's what I got on defense. All right, so let's shift gears and look at special teams. And uh, we're going to come down the home stretch with just Dave. Uh, we had a hard stop at our earlier recording session, and uh, we're just going to wrap this up with me. So uh, let's hit some highlights here on special teams. I think there were some uh, mostly good on Saturday. Uh, and I think the the, the headliner is uh, Bolivis hitting a 49-yarder. That was a career best for him, uh, and certainly – uh, there was an enthusiastic cheer when we saw that go up. We've seen a lot of woes in the kicking game, and for him to hit a 49-yarder, I think there were probably low expectations that he would that he would connect, and he certainly did. And so that gives us uh, certainly some upside to look for. I still don't know that I would ever want us to come down to needing a kick to win a game, uh, but seeing that he has that sort of in his back pocket isn't isn't altogether bad. He was three of three on his uh, PATs, which is you know kind of not for nothing either. Uh, Mike Bernier on his punting, he had five punts, which is certainly more punts than we like to see from an Alabama punter, uh, especially down the stretch. Uh, I think we had uh, a three-game stretch where we punted once, and so to get five in a single game uh, certainly speaks to uh, the Bulldog defense there. But uh, five points, his average was only 36.6, but uh, I think there's other uh, some other cool things to look at uh, to put that average in context. And we talked about this last week where he had uh, two kicks, uh, you know, averaged uh, right at, you know, 36, 37 yards and uh, and they were both right at that distance. And so there wasn't a lot of standard deviation in, in his kicking uh, here. The average 36.6. We've got a long of 43. And so we're seeing some upside there. And we also know that he pinned the team down uh, at the one. Uh, on a kick. And so that uh, that's going to maybe be uh, that's going to impact some of his distance there. But accuracy, uh, getting the right spin on the ball, getting the right hang time so that the the gunners can get down there and down that. And certainly hats off to Patrick Sertain, uh, a true freshman that's really playing above uh, above level that was able to to, to down that ball. Uh, Ali Kohei, uh, Kohei 
Um, another freshman that's really uh, making a name for himself on special teams. Uh, he recovered a fumble on uh, on punt coverage, and uh, that one uh, that was was sort of fun to watch because just the placement of the field and and the side of the body where the uh, the guy was uh, was fielding the returner was was fielding the ball was almost pretty lined up with with where I was sitting, and just instantly you could see him catch the ball and then it bounce out. And Kohei uh, was just right there on spot to uh, uh, to corral that ball. So that's good. We had no punt returns, which really speaks to teams sort of kicking away from Jalen Waddle and and kicking away from a, from a returner can mean a couple of different things. Uh, not necessarily kicking to the opposite side of the field, but uh, sky in the ball. So there's significant hang time. Hang time so the coverage team can get down there. And we've been seeing more and more of that, certainly as Jalen Waddle has been revealed as a weapon in, in the return game. And uh, and I think he still has some big returns for us sort of in his back pocket. But I, I think that we're seeing teams adjust to that. And Mississippi State certainly did that. Again, continue to fill the ball clean, uh, establish field possession, possess the ball, right? The most important thing you can do there. And so we're continuing to see that. And then – you know, we kind of all know my favorite thing to watch is uh, is kickoff returns. And so uh, Josh Jacobs, you know, returns the ball out of the end zone uh, or, you know, right at the at the one yard line for, um, you know, uh, downs the ball at the 20, 27 or is tackled at the at the 27. And so he gained two yards on that uh, in my um uh, return math, uh, but he's credited with the full 27. And so he had a big day number wise and certainly, uh, you know, tagging 27 to the end of that, uh, in my estimation, pads that number uh, in an unrealistic way. But I am I am largely on an island <laughs> when it comes to that. I would say overall, those special teams played well. Uh, we saw some things that, uh, you know, a 49 yard kick uh, down in the ball at the one uh, our turnover. So we saw some really good things on special teams. And uh, and that's good because we've seen some blah days uh, on special teams. And it speaks to the coaching that we're seeing from from banks and the contribution that we're seeing that uh, that we can have some some highlights um, at different levels or different types of highlights on uh, special teams. So that's certainly good. Good to see. Let's move forward and talk about next week. Uh, the Tide hosts uh, the Citadel, and it's another one of those uh, sort of cupcake Saturdays. And there's more than one. And and every year the media tries to outdo how they've uh, mocked uh, this week and prior uh, in prior seasons. And so it sort of feeds on itself. It's um, you know it's it's one of those things. Saban talks about every game being important, and I agree with that. Gene Stalin said. If you don't think one of these games is important, try losing one. And that's true, too. And so I understand the coach's mentality. I understand coach wants to you know, it's a process. You get better every day. It, you don't look at the scoreboard. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. You are your own opponent opponent. And so you can't you can't decide when you're going to turn it on, when you're going to turn it off. And so I understand he has sort of that angst um, and it's almost a competition for the team's attention with the media. And uh, I think sometimes when he sort of acts out, if you will, at a press conference, he's trying to win that competition for attention. And uh, I went back and listened to his Monday press conference and and I thought, man, you know, the poor media guy didn't ask the question that Saban sort of ranted on 
uh, he just saw that as his as his best opening to sort of get out what what he had, and and I get it, I get it from that perspective, um, you know, certainly as well. The Citadel here is a team that's that's four and five in the Southern Conference, so we can't look at them as 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 a true threat. But we've got to go in and compete, and we've got to compete against a standard. And if you sort of lay, lack, lackadaisically uh, perform on the field, that's when you're actually more apt to get injury. So you go out there, do what you do. Uh, we'll take a lead. We'll rotate guys in, and we'll sort of play through from there. Um, you know, just for just for context, we did mention the Citadel 4 for 5 in the Southern Conference. In some respect, that's kind of all you need to know. Uh, but uh, for Grins, uh, the Citadel lost to East Tennessee. And uh, I, lo- I was looking at these numbers earlier, so I may not get them exactly right. I don't have the margin for that game. I could look it up. But Citadel lost to East Tennessee. East Tennessee lost to Tennessee uh, by 51 points. Uh, Tennessee lost to Alabama by 46 points. So we are at least 97 points, closer to 100 points better than Citadel would be one way of looking at it. I'm not, I'm not sure it's quite that uh, transitive, but um, – uh, you kind of get the point there. I think this is a Neymar score game. The only thing that's interesting about this opponent, and again, I sort of credit Saban for this in in ways that uh, most of the media will overlook, but this is an option team. This is a triple option team. And so this is a type of offense, a type of uh, defensive sort of discipline, if you will, that we don't see uh, on a week over week basis. It can be uh, tough to compete uh, against this team, uh, Citadel is not nearly as good as the Georgia Southern team that's, you know, played the tin horn uh, drill on us a couple a uh, couple of years ago. But it's still it's still going to give us things to look at, and and I like that we have this you know, sort of year over year when you schedule these games, you don't know what you know maybe an Auburn offense is going to look like, but they certainly have have used a lot of triple option tendencies. Um, in their game plan. And so the fact that we have an opportunity to sort of look at this two weeks in a row, uh, I think is, is just a subtle nod to, to, you know, Saban thinking ahead and, and seeing a much larger picture picture. So I give them, uh, I certainly give them kudos and, and credit for that. This is a name your score game. I, I think it'll be a, a low key affair. I'm thinking 38 to six. Um, maybe they get in striking distance. Maybe there's a turnover, and that gives them an opportunity uh, at a field goal. Uh, Tommy doesn't think dissimilarly. Uh, he's I got his score, and and he was thinking 49 to three, based solely on you know Saban not wanting to cross the the 50 threshold. So so we will uh, absolutely see how that goes. I want to give um, as as we wrap this up. I want to give um, a special shout out to listener Paul. Paul uh, gave us a review. Uh, which we uh, read on the air last uh, in our last show and uh, hit us up in the email. And we ended up having a couple of emails back and back and forth. And uh turns out his seats uh, in, in the stadium were pretty close to where, uh, to where I was sitting. And so we met up, uh, you know, during the game for a few minutes and then, uh, and then after the game, great guy, great uh, Alabama fan uh, from the, oh, I'm going to remember from the Charleston area. And so great opportunity to just connect with uh, the listeners out there. We greatly appreciate uh, you guys tuning in. We greatly appreciate your comments. We greatly appreciate your reviews on uh, on the iTunes. Um, this is Tommy and I, just two guys talking football. And the fact that that you enjoy it and you guys reach out to us is um, it there's it's never not flat uh, flattering. And so we greatly, uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, appreciate that. Drop us an email. We try to respond to everything. Um, we try to answer all the questions and we certainly uh, want to get your reviews. Um, 
you know, on the air. Uh, we appreciate your feedback and any sort of outreach in that way. And of course, the five star reviews help us in the rankings on iTunes. We appreciate that. We got some some national media giants out there that we rank pretty well against. Um, and uh, it's only because you guys out there and gals are out there listening and uh, giving us reviews and engaging with us. So we greatly appreciate that. With that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.